the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How do you keep mission and vision front of mind? And then, should we still be taking students on mission trips? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian from. It's tough to work today, Aubrey. It's Friday. It's Fourth of July weekend. The it does feel tough to work. Yeah. Yes, yeah. If it, it feels like we should be on vacation all weekend, really, in, starting really today. All summer. Just all, all summer. I agree. Let's just like replay just best all ofs all summer. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. I'll let you make that call to the station, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, I mean, I was watching the Today Show yesterday or the day before, and it was already like nightmares at the airports on the oh road, people traveling oh wow thought, uh, you know over the last week we've had all the smoke i mean it's kind of crazy around here yeah the oh. smoke has been crazy like the air quality has been so wild and i mean i know other places in the country have been experiencing that but i know it is it is so strange so hopefully we have clear skies for you know fireworks and hopefully people can get where they need to go are you guys i can't remember are you guys traveling for the fourth we're going to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's cabin up in wisconsin and so uh can't wait for that uh controversial take here are you ready for it oh always i'm not a big fan of fireworks shows Okay, tell me why, because I might actually share some of this feeling with you. I'm curious if it's for the same reason. So let's hear yours. Takes a lot of effort to get to them, crowds, all this stuff. But yes. then eventually, it's always late because it's got to be dark. Uh huh. And then it's just the same thing. I mean, yeah, you got the grand finale and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if if you sat me right here and it was dark and you said a fireworks show in front of you, I'd probably be like, that's great. But all the effort, I'm always get to the end of a fireworks show and I'm like. So I so okay. Here's where I here's why I'm the same, and here's where I disagree. I agree with you. It's so much effort, and the crowds like that part is so stressful and annoying. I have found last year like you park in a certain location that's far away enough that you're not at the fireworks, but you can still see them, and then you can just drive out when it's done. So you don't even get out of your car, or you like roll down the windows and like <laughs> that to me is like <laughs> that, that to me is like pristine firework watching. But I still like the show. Like I'm still like a little kid when the fireworks start. I'm still like, ooh, ah, wow. Yeah. So that part of it, if we could somehow do the fireworks and it not be as big of an ordeal to get there, I think that's how I feel. I, think I don't that's know. What I'm thinking it's like like. I, and you know what? This is funny, but, but you know, Disney, they do fireworks almost every night. And that's like, you're just right there anyway. So you kind of right. just walk over and watch them. I, that's a kind of fireworks show. I, where can I just like walk over and sort of watch them and then leave? And it, I don't have to like drive there and find parking and then get yeah, out and then yeah. lay down on a blanket to hold my spot. Like that stuff's all very annoying. So I, I think I'm I'm not anti-firework show. I'm anti-firework experience. That's it. I think that's right. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. The rigmarole. 
that, I was going to use that word, but I think <gasps> that word sounds ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was what my is... first thought. So Fireworks, anyway, rigmarole. We're against I, it, but we I like the show. Choose, I would choose the the uh, 4th of July parade over the 4th of July fireworks. Now, I'd do both, but yeah, if you made me choose one or the other. I don't think I would. Like, I... I'm a little bit the same way with the parade. Like you got to go there and that's hot and you stand there and it's like, oh, there's another school marching band. There's another politician. If again, if we had cool parades with like awesome floats and like this land is your land, like a big band and stuff, please. I, I think I could get into it. But again, the, the parade rigmarole, I feel the same way. I'm a grumpy old lady. I think. Maybe I haven't been to parade in a, like since my kids were little, so I might not feel that way now. Now that they're yeah. older, think about how uh, hot it is, and you're just like standing there watching politicians so, go by. Quick parade story. Yeah, uh, my brother has always kind of worked in politics and campaigns and all this stuff. So one year when I was in college, he asked my, a buddy of mine and me, "Can you please come?" It wasn't Fourth of July, obviously, but can you come to whatever the parade is in this town and carry the banner? Like, oh. Oh, so uh, we carried the banner for a very well-known politician back in the day. You know, it was 25 years ago yeah. in, in Illinois. And uh, we carried the banner We're like, this is going to be cool. The guy yelled at us under his breath the whole time. Walk faster, kidding? walk slower, hold it straighter. Are you, and I was like, this, what, what, are you what, joking? What? Are you oh. kidding me? Okay. <laughs> that <laughs> Wow. This guy was a beloved uh, uh, politician. Wow. <laughs> like, what just happened? The guy was, what happened? What was Hold that? Traitor. Walk faster. Walk slower. <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. Well, happy 4th of July weekend to everybody. It, part, of, what, part of what that means is it's actually July already. So we It's are July, rolling. baby. All right. I want to ask you a church question. Okay. Uh, and this stems from an elder meeting I was a part of the other day at my church. Uh, We're talking about, uh, and I know these are very churchy kind of words, very leadership words, like vision and mission, right? We're talking about uh, this and that. And it got me thinking, some of the stuff we were talking about that we want to do, as you know, our church is going to, we have to move soon and all this stuff. So there's a lot in the air. And so it's a lot of like, who do we want to be, right? And a lot of it echoed what we said when we started the church 13 years ago. Yeah. But how to describe this except over time you just kind of drift right Hmm. you still have the same goals and missions and vision but you're like the rat race you end up just kind of this how does in like the day-to-day sort of thing do you feel that do you feel like i i you know uh at conferences and stuff they'll call it like mission drift where you don't like you don't deny the mission of you know, yeah. renewal church exists to do this, but yeah, you just kind of drift away from it. Do you feel that? How do you avoid that? I, that's what I left our elder meeting going like, yeah, I'm glad we're talking about these things, but these shouldn't be things that we need to talk about because in theory, we should be doing these things already on mission. So I, this is funny. Like I, I'm, I actually think this is a gift that Kevin brings to the table is he's really good about keeping mission, mission and vision in front of our staff and in front of the church constantly. Like, 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 I mean, like every Sunday reminding us of our mission and our vision at Renewal Church, every staff meeting asking, does this fit with the mission and the vision? 
does this decision fit with the mission and the vision? Now, that's not to say we're aligned perfectly. Like there's always like we do a, you know, a lot of churches do this, like a step process where very consistently we're like, okay, let's look at our mission and vision. What's missing? What, what are the wins? What are we doing? Well, what's missing? What's wrong? And what's confused? And we, every four months, like every quarter, go through that list. And then we try to course correct from there. So we're pretty intentional throughout the year of keeping the mission and vision. And then like something we just did is we had a five-year vision when we first started. We just got a whole team of people together and like kind of re-upped and nuanced that next five-year vision. So now we've got a new one and like, it's still very similar, but like just some new things in front of us. And so again, the, the question our executive pastor keeps in mind is like, does this align with the vision we've all just agreed to? Like, are we, so I'm not necessarily good at like keeping those things in mind, but it's, I've got a great team of people who are. And so I, I do actually think you have to keep talking about it. And I do think you have to keep preaching about it. And I think you have to keep reminding yourself of it. And it, it is easy to drift though. Like there are parts of our mission right now that I think like here, let me just give you an example. And I'll make it brief, but like, you know, we're, we're this very like neighborhood focused church. I would say in COVID, we lost some of that, like things we were doing in and for the neighborhood. And so like under our sort of what's confused and what's missing, that's a category. And we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get back into some of those neighborhood relationships? So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange thing to think about having to keep, keep it there because it's easy to lose track of it. And the church world's where we live, but it got me thinking last night or two nights ago about my family, right? Mm. Like you've all these dreams. Your kids are mm. born and you're like, we're gonna be intentional about this, we're gonna do mm-hmm. that. And then just mm-hmm. life happens. You're mm-hmm. like, Oh man, I, I would you know, we're running here, running here, running yep. here. And you go, Whoa, what just yeah. happened? How Did we do the things we wanted to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How am I driving them to college? It just got me thinking as we were having a conversation I, I was excited to have the conversation like okay let's make sure we're on track here but it does make you wonder how do you how does one get off track and never like we're denying the mission but just you know you end up focusing i think you're you're so good at saying this even about marriage and i think this does relate to parenting and family and church is like you always talk about how you don't wake up one day in your marriage and say today i'm getting a divorce right, like right. it is it's a slow drift and so i think just to go okay wait bring it back bring it back, bring it back. And that intentionality. And I think even those four questions, what's working, what's missing, what's wrong and what's confused to regularly ask yourself that in different categories of your life is a really helpful way to like kind of course correct and get back on track. Awesome. Hopefully over the 4th of July, you can have some of those conversations in your family and uh, over a hot dog or over Over a hot dog, over some potato salad. Okay. Okay. Coming up next. A lot of you are going to sit in traffic. Aubrey, I want to vent about traffic. Ooh, fun times. Then then we're going to turn it nicely. I want you to think about this. What is kind of your favorite drive in the Chicagoland (gasps) area? We're going to do that here on the Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. What food defines 4th of July for you? If you had to pick one food. I'm not, I'm so not good at this game. I mean, I can, I can say like for America, it's hot dogs. for you? You guys are going to like not look, but people aren't going to like me. My answers are so like, I like cauliflower pizza. I like a salad, (laughs) you know, like I'm very boring and, and I just make 
I just make it very interesting choices when it comes to food. I don't think so, cauliflower, I, I don't think cauliflower pizza is actually a thing. No, it's so good. Cauliflower pizza with turkey pepperoni is so good. With turkey? Yeah, it's just like the like a healthy version of a pizza. It's really delicious. You can get some at Target that are that are healthy, and there's some that are unhealthy too. You gotta be careful about which one you get. But I've never thought to myself uh, when getting a pizza that a I wish it was cauliflower, but b <laughs> I've never thought to myself, you know what meat I want on this is turkey. Do you know cauliflower? Like that's the crust is the cauliflower. I understand. Yeah, okay, you're, I'm not putting, like, chunks of cauliflower on, okay, I'm not putting, like, chunks of cauliflower on the pizza, although that might be good, but yeah, it's made of, the crust is made of cauliflower. I, I just like... I told food. you, you're gonna not like my answers, that's why I tried to steer you towards the hot dog answer. I know, it's hot dog, it's, like, it's, it's potato salad, it's that, like, the salad that everyone brings to, you know, like, the taco Jello. dip or whatever, the, like, three, yeah. seven-layer taco dip, it's that kind of stuff. That's 4th of July. You know what else is cute? You know how people make the little cake and they line it with like white frosting and then blueberries and strawberries to make the American flag? That's cute. That's a cute yes. little 4th of July treat. You should do it. You should do it this year. On They're it. Made out of cauliflower. The stars <laughs> are cauliflower and the rest is like carrots. <laughs> what food defines 4th of July for you, Brian? It's a hot dog. If you yeah. could... If I could sit on a on a back deck with a big glass of iced tea and a hot dog and you're set and, and like a a slice of watermelon, I'd Ooh. start singing the national anthem in that <laughs> moment. I would like stand up and salute whatever I'm at. Uh, can I so can I tell a very this is way TMI. We've been on the air too much together that I'm about to say this. Watermelon gives mama some gas. Like I can't really handle watermelon anymore like I used to when I was a kid. Uh, that is too much information. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a segment on foods, foods that give us a gas. <laughs> top five. We got a top five list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's quickly move on from this conversation. So uh, things that are bad at this time of year, traffic. Let me just vent a little bit. <laughs> let's hear because it. I, I had to do some highway driving recently, like 294. 294 is the worst going south. I but okay. then I was on 355 yes. the other day, which is near us. Uh-huh. Traffic for no... Here's what happens in the summertime. On 355? I feel like that one's usually pretty good. No, because here's what happens in the summertime. They do construction projects, or at least they pretend to, in which they put all the cones <laughs> down one of the... One they of put so many was, cones everywhere. Yes. One of my kids the other day was like, they're not doing any construction here. <laughs> Why is the lane closed? I said, because you live in Chicago in the summer. It's what it's we do. It's so then, true. I also live right off of Ogden Avenue here. right? Oh, dang. You know, Ogden, Roosevelt, Butterfield, those kind of roads, North Avenue. They're not like highways, but they are always repairing something in the summer and they get all backed up too. I feel like I spend half my summer sitting on these roads going, I don't even know what's stopping me right now, but I'm stopped. I don't know. The worst part about summer might be traffic. So people, when I first moved to Chicago, I mean, it's been a long time. I've been over 20 years, but people always made that joke. What are the two seasons in Chicago? Winter and traffic or winter and construction. That's what it was. Winter and construction. And I'm kind of roll my eyes like, okay, but it's so true. Like it is so crazy how the summer, like even in my neighborhood, this is a great thing. They're redoing all the roads right now, but like I am dodging 
cones <laughs> and I am dodging sewer lids. Like, like nobody's business. It's it so is true. so crazy. I feel like I'm in a video game when I'm driving home. It, it's like, yeah, it, good times. Good times, Chicago. Not good times. Not good times. And it's like, yeah, are you watching these reports of people like, not just in traffic, but then at the airports right now, it is something. So let's turn it happy. I want to do this. What is maybe pick in Chicago, but then also ever for yourself, like the most scenic, prettiest. You're like, this is the best drive ever. Okay. You could take either in Chicago or like, oh, one time I was driving the coast in Florida or whatever. Okay, so, oh, man. Where should I start? Should I start Chicago? Sure. Okay, so this is going to sound funny because this isn't very iconic Chicago, but I love driving that pathway through the Morton Arboretum. You know how you can get to the Morton Arboretum? You and you exactly can, what you're talking about. You can just drive through it, and it's like this magical forest, and at Christmas they sometimes decorate it, but even in the fall you just see the fall leaves changing and I, it's so peaceful. It's a slow drive. You're, you know, it's kind of, you're not seeing the city, but it's really a nice little drive there. The so Arboretum. we have a membership there and I, that what you just described is gorgeous. Right. Also, but it also signifies what makes where we live sad because <laughs> you have to pay to do a scenic drive. Okay, you have to accurate, like get a yes. membership. Fair point. Fair to point. get off of this like yes. just suburban yes. road yes. to go through. There are some places, Aubrey, where that is called <laughs> just a normal drive. That's <laughs> just life. <laughs> it's so oh, true. I still am a sucker for when you first come in off of 55 or something and you get on Lakeshore Drive. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. And you're like yeah. – you see the how fountain the, there. Oh, yeah. How is yeah. Lakeshore Drive part of the city that we live in? You know what I mean? Yeah, like you're like, that's true. I'm it is look lovely. out at the lake. I mean, then yeah. people start driving like maniacs. But yeah, uh, there really is something to that where you're like, this city's really pretty in the summertime. Look yeah. around these big buildings. But then you got the city. Uh, you got the the lake. Yeah, there's something about that Lakeshore Drive drive. That's true. That's true. That is, especially when the traffic's not bad. Like that's really, really, that's really, really lovely. I though am a sucker for a good ocean drive where you're like on the street that is one block off of the ocean. And like, even if you open the windows, you can hear the ocean and, uh, mm. you know, the surf shops oh. and all the little shops are built up. Oh. I like that more than driving through the mountains. If I could drive by the beach, thank you. Please take me. Yeah, there right I now. was I was going to say like one of my favorite drives in the country is that, you know, uh, like that. I think it's called the A31 span of beaches or A30 span of beaches in Florida, like in the. Oh, Panhandle, sure, sure, sure. Where it's just like white sand and cute houses and little boutiques and the beach sounds and smells and it. Yeah, that's heaven. You know, what else has been enjoyable you know, I've been out to Seattle a few times this year now, and the Pacific Northwest just feels like, especially here in Chicago, it feels like a different world. You're Doesn't like, is it? this America? Yep. Yep. And that there are some drives there that you're like, by the lake, by Puget Sound, you're by these gorgeous trees, you see the mountains, you see Mount Rainier, like... It's it's pretty otherworldly to drive through there. Now, the traffic there is also a nightmare, but when you can get away from that, it's quite lovely to drive through that yep. part of the country. So the moral of the story is 
pay your money to go to the Morton Arboretum so that you can have a nice drive. <laughs> so sad. You can't I had even that drive thought fast. Of I had that thought in the winter. We drove through there and it was like there was there was snow on the trees. It was all beautiful. And my first thought was, huh, hmm. I had to pay to come back here. Uh. <laughs> all right. Coming up next, Aubrey and I, both as former youth pastors, this is youth mission trip time of season. There's kind of a growing movement that says we shouldn't be doing these trips anymore. Mm. We want to have a conversation about short-term mission trips next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, uh, you and I have been out of the youth ministry world for a, a little while. Yeah. Uh, I think I got out in like 2000. I make it sound like prison. I got out in 2006. <laughs> uh, but uh one of the fun things well maybe you th- i don't know if you found it fun but we would do fun trips and mission trips every summer and so mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah so fun you know i've been to i remember we went to west virginia we went to chicago we went to new york city yeah we went to an indian reservation in arizona and oh, then one you year with we later treks uh, no, they were with YouthWorks. Oh, okay. We did a lot of leader checks trips. Leader check stuff. Trips to some of the same places. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. And so uh, I've got some thoughts about those trips. And then we've done some as adults, but really it's a youth ministry game where you go, you go, where yeah. did you used to take? I know you're junior high, so that might have been too young, but did you guys do trips? Oh, yeah. We did all kinds of trips. We always did like a, we always did a missions trip. And then we would do a, a retreat type of trip you know, or like a leadership type of trip. Kevin, of course, would take people hiking that are like wanted like more of a hardcore trip. Of course he would. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, even though they were junior hires, we were, we were taking them to do age appropriate things. Certainly. Age appropriate death defying hikes through the Colorado Rockies. (laughs) So there is a debate. I was actually having a great talk with my daughter because she's wrestling with some of this stuff in what she's majoring and in college. Uh, have you ever read the book when helping hurts? Yes. I, you know, I haven't read it. That's, that's a lie. That's like one of those Christian books. Like I feel like I should have read. So I, so I'll say yes yeah. to you, but I actually haven't read it. I have like, looked at like it. Every, I, like every CS Lewis book. Exactly. 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 The point of when helping hurts is that these short term mission trips might be more problematic than they are helpful. Right. And it kind of calls into question what's the purpose right. behind the short term mission trip? Are they a good thing to do? Right. And I, I that's a new phenomenon, I would say. Maybe these conversations were happening when I don't remember engaging these conversations. Uh, I've got some. Th- well, I'll st- I always ask you, I'll start with my thoughts. How does that sound? Go for it. I think you need to keep short term mission trips in the right perspective. Yeah, I literally used to say to parents as we were preparing for mission trips uh, that I believe these mission trips are more about growing the worldview and everything of your student Mm. than they are of the help we're going to do. Yeah. So, yes, us painting a house or us put doing a VBS or us helping put in a basketball court are helpful to the missionary wherever they are. Yeah. But in the end. The purpose of the mission trip was to uh, take that high schooler and go, hey, there's more to the world than you know. Right. This is what it looks like to serve. I'm going to help expose you to missionaries. Right. uh, Or whatever else. Um, 
But I understand the the pushback where that sounds kind of selfish and maybe there's mm-hmm. a better way to go about this. There's an article that I was reading here that maybe we'll reference, but I just wonder your thoughts on the short-term high school, junior high mission trip. Yeah, I mean, you can see the critiques, right? That it's sort of this, it, it sort of comes across as this white savior thing or like you're exposing the kids for like four days, but they go home and these people are still subject to abject poverty and social injustice and situations that are horrific. And that doesn't really get addressed. And then you kind of have the typical, like pretty condescending. I I mean, I think they mean well, but, and I'm sure I did it too as a youngster, but like the pretty condescending, uh, they're so happy, even though they have nothing, I need to learn to be happy like that too. Like it can breed a little bit of kind of, arrogance that sounds good and i think i i but i that said i think those are fair and right critiques and they need to be mindful of i don't know that the short-term missions needs to stop but i do think it has to be in partnership with someone who's on the ground and loves that community and like you do what they tell you to do so like if that if that local missionary or that local pastor or that local ngo leader says yeah you can come but like you're building you're doing this. You're not leading a Bible study. You're not leading VBS. Or I want you to lead a Bible study. I want you to lead VBS. Our right. people need a break. Then you just go to serve and do whatever yeah. they want you to do, knowing they're the ones on the ground doing the actual relational work. And then I think to have some hard conversations with the kids, like this is about you being exposed to things, but it's because like you need to see what the real world is really like. Right. Like you can't have a pot. Like you still have to have a posture of mutual regard. So like what can, don't just think you're there to serve and fix. Like what can you learn from these people a- across the world about Jesus and about the, like, I, so I still think they should happen. I think mission trips, short-term mission trips are worth it, especially when you go to a place that again is plugged in relationally. But like, I think you're exactly right. Just position and posture it in a better way as we learn more and we understand the long-term effects of this kind of thing. Yeah. For me, I, I think it's a, are they perfect? No. Like, yeah. Do they have some pitfalls? Yes. But does that make them a net negative? I don't think so at all. But it has to be honest with you, reading some of these books and stuff, it does make you kind of rethink some of like the we're paying money to this organization. Like I said, we did YouthWorks, right? Or we did one called Forward Edge one year or whatever, where they do everything. You kind of pick the area, kind of like, mm. you know, you're going on a trip, like, you know, vacation. Almost. Like a vacation. It's not a vacation. But yeah. what, what I mean is as how you pick the place. And then when you're there, they do set up some like, hey, on this night, we're going to go to this place. And do, and you're like, mm-hmm. the mission trips are good. You do have to be really intentional with uh how do you talk about it to your students? Because it can become really condescending. A hundred percent. I'm a junior in high school and I'm here to help. No, these people have been here. They live here. They're like, <laughs> right, right. They're not, they're not here to be pitied because yeah. you. Yeah. And they're not really here to learn from you. 15 year olds. Like, exactly. like you, you come in with a posture of learning. I think the nice thing is it does open up the concept of like missions and yep. missional living and, if it leads into long-term missions, I think that's really, you know, a, a beautiful thing. Um, but I, I definitely think it's worth paying attention to like, why are we doing this? How are we doing this? How is it actually forming students? And then going from there. 
Yep. I, like, I and how is it, not life. even just students, how is it benefiting the people you're going to serve? I think of my own life. When I was a junior in high school, we did a mission trip to Jamaica. And it was like, in the end, we went into like the most poverty area there. And through this group, we helped build, you know, a little shack for the pastor. And in the end, could the people there have done that? Could they, did we really probably, like, were we that helpful? We did a VBS too, but yeah. I remember I still to this day am impacted by coming in contact with the pastor there and mm. the things he said to us mm. and the joy he had, even though he didn't have electricity, all of this stuff, it did make an impact on me. Yeah. And like, is that a bad thing? No, that's not a bad thing. But I do think we just need to be honest about what are we accomplishing What's our purpose? Right, right. What are we? We're not saving the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I do also like that you said it could expose you to missions. Uh, it, at this article I was looking at at the, a place called The Conversation, they ended their article this way. Many of the short-term missionaries I interviewed described feeling changed by their trip and becoming more aware of their own privilege. But the focus on spiritual fulfillment means that these young people may be missing out on opportunities to deepen their understandings of the world and to build solidarity mm. with the communities they visit. Basically, their call in this article is like, think bigger. Think, yeah. like, how do we yeah, help them understand good. what's going on in this community? How yeah. do we help them understand, get a worldview? So I think it's something interesting to think about as lots of students, uh, high school, college, out of college are probably heading around the country and around the world on these short-term mission trips. I would say that's a great thing, but just yeah. think it through. Yeah. Think it through. Coming up next, uh, Larry Rudolph, the author of In Finding Grace, is going to join us. Aubrey, we're going to talk to him about something I've never really talked to anyone about, therapy dogs. Oh, how interesting. Do they, how do they actually bring comfort in times of crisis? We're going to talk to Larry Rudolph about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Aubrey, uh, there's a fascinating book called Finding Grace in which the author Larry uh, Ruda, uh, Randolph, I'm sorry, Larry Randolph, uh, shares about God using therapy dogs and using dogs mm, to bring comfort wow. and hope to those in need. And we thought we really want to talk to Larry and, and hear more about this. And so we are thrilled to be joined by that author, uh, Larry Randolph. Larry, how are you doing today? Doing fine. Thank you very much for having me. Look forward to talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah we're excited thr to have we're you. thrilled to have you with us. And uh, Larry, this is clearly a passion of yours. Can you just talk to us about how therapy dogs are kind of illustrative of God's love and mm. God's hope and kindness in our lives? Well, for, you know, first of all, dogs in general are, yeah. are, uh, are God's most, I think, and of course, being in ministry and have trained hundreds of dogs, some of the most gentle and, and wonderful creatures that God has created for humans. And mm. so therapy dogs are basically comfort dogs. They're used to to uh, bring joy and peace and comfort in the midst of anxiety and stress and uh, loneliness and sadness and uh, pain and suffering. And when you bring a dog in, a therapy dog, a comfort dog to visit somebody, uh, their countenance just changes and it goes from sadness or loneliness or, or pain to focusing on the dog. And uh, and that's a beautiful way of, uh, of, uh, of just bringing light into the darkness and being kind mm. to someone for, for, the, for that period of time. Mm. We don't uh, preach to people, but we act as the ministry of presence. These, guys are, these dogs are vessels yeah. that we use for good, for good. And when that dog opens the door, 
of communication, he, they break the ice, the barrier of communication, because people will talk to a dog first. You, know, when you, <laughs> you, know, you go down the street with your dog, you walk it in, in the night or day, you know, they'll People will come up to the dog first, and they don't really know your name, but they'll know your dog's name. So, <laughs> but that's, awesome. that's that's great because that's the that's the door opener, that's the vessel that we use, and mm. and once that ice is broken, we can tell people about you know, hello, God loves you today. He's with you. Mm. He's here with you through the struggles. Mm. And we want to bring this beautiful dog in your life just for a little mm. while, just to express that. So, I can oh, I tell you that. that over the years, millions of people, and every year, millions of people are touched by this ministry in some form, in some way, throughout mm. the world. We have uh, over 1,200 volunteers throughout the world doing this now, and it's wow. just amazing to see how God can use his most gentle, kind, compassionate creatures to uh, to bring forth his wonderful message of love and hope. Oh, I love that. Larry, I know part of the part of the story is your own personal relationship with your own dog, Gracie. And after going through some personal losses, you felt God kind of speak to you about this. Can you tell us that story with that? I don't want to spoil the book, but I want you to give us a teaser. Well, uh, uh, years ago, uh, when uh, uh, I was in another field, I was in another career. I was a real estate person, real estate uh, broker and developer. And uh, but many years ago, I had. Uh, uh, had been doing and still do today a devotion in the morning. And one day, uh, 15 years ago, God spoke to me and said uh, the very two words, therapy dogs. Hmm. And uh, at that time, I had no idea what he was telling me. I didn't know. And he said, what? Are you, what's therapy dogs? And so God said, therapy dogs are going to be used by by you to bring people my love and hope. And so I, uh, the first thing I thought of was, Lord, I don't have a dog. So what am I going to do? You know, you got to start a ministry. You have to have some thing to start it with. So no dog, but you know, God, and it's, it's, this is a story in this book about obedience, how if you trust God and obey him, uh, how powerful things can happen and the most wildest of your dreams can unfold by using therapy dogs. Gracie Mm -hmm. was, uh, the second dog we got, the first dog, we borrowed a dog from my daughter and we used that dog for a year. And then, uh, we got Gracie to, uh, 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 to be the therapy dog in our ministry. And she has been, she's almost 15 now and she's on her senior years, but her, um, uh, her life has been extraordinary in her aspect of being able to uh, just reach people with this gentle queen-like manner. She's what I call Gracie is the the matriarch and the queen of the ministry because of her gentleness and her regalness. And it has drawn people to her, which Mm -hmm. has allowed me to go in and minister to people with God's love. So uh, I have a lot of stories about her. If you want to hear a couple, I do. I do too. Yeah. Let's hear a story for sure. Okay. I, I was a hospice chaplain, a volunteer hospice chaplain at the VA for VA hospital for years. And we'd go into the hospice unit and I would take Gracie in and we would visit with the patients that were in palliative care or under, you know, uh, immediate uh, dead death uh, scenarios. And so one day we walked into the hospice unit and uh, the nurse came running out the door and said, my, this man is dying and they've asked for a pastor. Would you come in and pray with the family? So Gracie and I walked in and uh, 
immediately when we walk into a room, her job is to meet and greet people. She goes up to people, uh, meets them with her warm nose and wagging tail and, and asks them to greet and pet her. Aww. This particular case, she the room was silent, completely silent, because the, mm. the, the, the man was in his last stages of his life. And she recognized something. She walked over to the bed where the man was in. He was in a uh, coma. Mm. and uh, under under sedation. And Mm. she walked over to him and she put her head right on his arms and like sighed. And then he died. What Gracie Gracie saw was God's angels. Animals can sense things that we can't Mm. because their minds aren't as convoluted as ours with all different types of thoughts. She saw or sensed God's angels in that room. And that's all scriptural that when a, a believer dies, God will send his angels to carry that believer's spirit into heaven. Mm. She felt and saw something in that room that was very spiritual and very deep. Mm. You could feel it in the room. The room was like powerful with God's spirit. So wow. I told the doctors and the parents there that were beside this man, I said, you just witnessed something that you may never, ever see again, how mm. an animal can sense the spiritual angel angelic blessings of of you taking your son to heaven. It was a beautiful experience. A lot of lot of stories like that that I have with this dog, and uh, it's just amazing to see how dogs yeah. can bring out that gift in people. It's it's awesome. Yeah, oh, love that, that is a that is a powerful story. That I know is. I've got two dogs, and uh, they much less seriously they they are just bring the most joy in the world. Right, like I can walk into the front door, and I always know. No matter what I did that day, no matter what happened, they're coming to my, they're going to come running, barking and, and they be will. happy to see us. So yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> Larry, where, if people want to get involved in ministry with dogs, so we'll, t- mm. you know, we'll point them to your book, but if they want to get involved with ministry, where would you tell people to go? What would well, you tell people to go look up? Well, first of all, I, I would say that pray about it, you know, uh, find, uh, just ask God yep. what he wants you to do and what. It's God is asking you or what you think you want to do, but pray about it and research it. Find out, you know, uh, uh, you know, what the ministry you want to get into, what's the purpose of it. And if it meets your requirements and it meets your needs, uh, and then, uh, talk to some people about it that are in similar ministries and then maybe go on some visits, shadow visits with people to see Mm -hmm. how the ministry functions in, in the world. That's actually, you're going to get into canines for Christ is, uh, uh, similar in that aspect that when a person comes into our ministry, uh, we try to offer them, uh, uh, you know, uh, to take them on visits with us to show him, show them, throw them how the dog breaks the ice, the barrier to communicate to people, how to minister and how to open up the doors. So, but I would say the first thing to do would be to pray about it and then research it, do some research yeah. and, uh, and try to go on visits or, or, or uh, find out how to get involved. And then you can maybe start to think about maybe your own ministry or getting involved in, in that capacity. That's great. That's awesome. And again, we'd point you to uh, Larry's book, Finding Grace, Larry Randolph, along with his co-author, Jennifer Bleakley, uh, yes. all about this great stuff that we've been talking about. Larry, great stories, man. Mm-hmm. Good luck on the book. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. You guys have a blessed day. We'll be back on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.